Blog Talk Radio. at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and a special welcome to the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. Now, if you have logged in as a guest, and I do see several guests in the chat room tonight, and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or Blog Talk Radio. Well, I am happy to welcome the guests tonight, Leontanine Clay Peck. Now, Leontanine will share the story of her journey from Piedmont, West Virginia, to the Virginia Piedmont, better known as the land of the presidents, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. Leontanine is a native of Piedmont, West Virginia, and she is an author, speaker, educator, family historian, and ancestor advocate. I love that. So <laughs> let me give a warm welcome to Leontine Clay Peck to research at the National Archives and Beyond. Welcome, Leontine. Thank you, Bernice. It is such a pleasure to be able to share with your listeners. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, Leontine, now, you know what? I said something. I said you were an ancestor advocate. So tell Mm -hmm. us, what is an ancestor advocate? Well, it really is a term that I made up. And uh, the reason that I made the term up, ancestor advocate, is because my husband said, you're always doing work on behalf of the ancestors. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. said, it's because I advocate for them. Those of us who do this work, we hear whispers, we get signs from them in some way, and so we're advocating for them. We we are them, and we're advocating uh, for them to get the research to connect with our current um, families. So that's why that's why I call myself an that, ancestor. That's advocate. why. Well, you know, you said whispers, mm-hmm. and you 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 hear whispers. So tell me. What motivated you to begin your your research? You know, it started really when I was a child. And I know some people uh, have shared with me that when they were children, they they thought about who their grandparents were or, you know, their family 
names and, and heritage, and, and that started with me, too, really when I was about um, 10 years old uh, in the fourth grade. And I remember the whisper, really, of an of of an ancestor. I'm putting it in kind of perspective now, and I didn't know what it was then. And I remember in the fourth grade, we were talking about uh, slavery and the Civil War, and one of the teachers mentioned about Henry Clay, Senator Henry Clay. And I remember asking her, I said, oh, you know, and of course we saw the photograph, and I said, I wonder if he's related to me. And she said, oh, no, honey, no, dear, I don't, I don't think so. But something mm-hmm. in, inside of me and whispered inside of me said, maybe you shouldn't believe her. Well, that was, you know, when I was 10 years old. So that was really what I would consider my first whisper, that something that I couldn't describe, but it piqued my curiosity. Yes. And just to think at 10 years old, she basically discounted your your thought. She did. Mm-hmm. Maybe you might be related. Mm-hmm. But during that time, and, and she was a wonderful teacher, but during that time for a, for a black child to mention that she could, first of all, be related to someone who was held in high esteem, you know, a senator mm-hmm. and a white senator, mm-hmm. and that would just probably not be possible at all that I could be related. And so I remember saying, well, maybe he owned our people. And she said, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. he did. So that was okay. But it wasn't okay that maybe I could also be related to this person. And at the time, yes. as a child, I really didn't see, I saw the name. I really didn't see the race. I saw our name, that we had the same name, the last name of Clay. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes. Well, I can see as a child, you would see the name mm-hmm. and not look at the race. But you Absolutely. saw a familiar name. So mm-hmm. why not, as a child, with your curiosity, ask the question? Mm-hmm. I wonder if he could be related to me. So let's start backwards a little, because many people may not know a lot about the Piedmont, West Virginia. So describe to us um, Piedmont, West Virginia, where is it located, and and just give us some background information on this particular area, the country. I would be be happy to do that. Piedmont, and of course, it's not the same as it was when I was a child growing up there. Piedmont is located in the eastern panhandle of the state of West Virginia, so it's actually closer to Maryland and Pennsylvania than the, than the rest of the state of, of West Virginia. Most of the people, when they're familiar with West Virginia, they may think of our two major areas, and that's Charleston and Huntington. But Piedmont is closer to Cumberland, Maryland. A lot of people that came um, you know, through the Underground Railroad, um, a lot of things that happened, which historically happened in Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. So we're not too far from that area. Piedmont is situated on the Potomac mm-hmm. River. So it was a community that is known for paper making. The, the, one of the major industries there was the paper mill. It was also known, it was called Mount Carbon at a point in time. And of course, it used to be part of the state of Virginia. Uh, you know, before it, uh, West Virginia became a state, it was part of, of Virginia. But a quaint, cute little town. It was, like many states uh, or many communities in the states, segregated. 
but we had a very strong black middle class, and that was because we had the paper mill, we had um, the coal mines, and we also had um, the railroads. So the the black men in the community were able to, you know, get good jobs, good paying jobs, and be able to support their families. And I think that was one of the reasons that we had a close community. People were able to educate their children, go on, and, and you know, build um, decent lives for themselves. So, so even to this day, the people from Piedmont are very close, although the population of Piedmont is not what it used to be. We still are close-knit. Many of the people, interestingly, that lived um, in Piedmont now migrated from Madison County, uh, Virginia. And so that's why I say coming from Piedmont, West Virginia, and coming to this area, uh, Charlottesville, Madison County, Orange County, Central Virginia, it's also called the Piedmont area very rich in natural resources and family-oriented. So growing up there, we had many people, you know, here that are listening. They're very familiar with the scholar, uh, Dr. Henry Louis Gates, who we called Skip. He's a Piedmont native. So he and his brother and his family and, and the rest of his family, they still live in Piedmont. One of my other cousins during the uh, Harlem Renaissance was Don Redman. He was a jazz musician. He was from Piedmont. And so if you've heard any of the Betty Boop songs, he was one of the yes. composers for the cartoon for the Betty Boop. So, and also from Piedmont, we had, which a lot of people even from Piedmont didn't know, we had a senator, and his, sen- his name was Senator um, Gassaway, Henry Gassaway Davis, and he actually served two terms. Uh, in the United States Senate. He was a self-made man, uh, what what we would call a real estate tycoon now. He owned a lot of real estate, and he was in um, heavily invested in, in the railroad. So, you know, he was a millionaire, and he was from, from Piedmont, West Virginia. So it was a, night, a very tightly knit community. And although during segregation, you know, of course we had some – unpleasant things that happened. But for the most part in our community, the black people and the white people got along very well. So it was it was um, a wonderful place to grow up. It was a very loving, kind, caring community. And I'm proud to call myself. And so you wouldn't, we had a neighboring community called Kaiser, and there were people who grew up in Kaiser, but you made it distinct that, no, I'm not from Kaiser, I'm from Piedmont. It was, a, a, you know, a healthy rivalry between the two cities. Okay. So how did your family get to Piedmont, West Virginia, from Madison County, Virginia? I don't have exact stories, but I do have a few anecdotes and a little bit of research that lead that led me to kind of connect the dots. And I'm, when I talk about the connection between Piedmont, West Virginia, and the Virginia Piedmont, this would be on my father's side of the family, the Clays, okay. the Prices, the Twymans. These were the people who migrated from Madison County to Piedmont during the 19, really starting in like 1915. They started migrating from the farms of Madison County for greater opportunity, as I had mentioned before, 
with um, the industry. So started migrating very slowly. And by 1930, according to the census, which is very interesting because if you look at the census in the 1930s, many of the families, those families that I just mentioned, the Clays, the Prices, the Twymans, the Smiths, they had lived in Madison County. And then when you look at the next 10 years, they're all neighbors in Piedmont, West Virginia. So from talking to, um, you know, my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and people that migrated and lived in Piedmont, it was the industry that pulled them from rural and farming Madison County to um, to Piedmont, West Virginia, so for opportunity. Okay, okay. So take us through your journey of discovering information about the Clay family in Madison County, West Virginia. Okay. This is probably the most divine part of this journey. And when I say divine, I mean that um, I I don't really feel like I had anything to do with this on purpose. Like, you know, some people say, I'm going to move back. I know where my family was from, um, so I want to go find them. What happened in my particular case was that 14 years ago, my husband and, and, and I decided that we wanted, we were living at the time in Cumberland, Maryland, and we were looking for communities where we could relocate. And it was my husband's idea to look at Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, mind you, I didn't know anything about Charlottesville, Virginia. I had never been to Charlottesville. My husband didn't know anything. We didn't have any jobs. We didn't have family. We had nothing in Charlottesville. But we knew that we wanted to move to a community where there was um, a college because we, we like college towns, and we didn't want to move too far away from our families. So we looked at several communities, and we, when we you know, made a selection, we decided on Charlottesville. So we moved, and I moved to Charlottesville, and my husband remained in Maryland because, you know, we had to sell our house and do some other things um, to make it work, to make the move work. In the meantime, I moved in July. That same month, my grandmother, my father's mother, who had been born in Madison County, she died. But I didn't know at the time that she was from Madison County. I thought she was born in Piedmont. My aunt asked me to, you know, to assist her in writing my grandmother's obituary, which I was happy to do. And I was sitting with my aunt, you know, at her kitchen table. And I just happened to look up at my aunt and I said, Grandma was born in Piedmont, right? And she said, no. She said, Grandma and Granddaddy were born in Madison County, Virginia. Now, mind you, um, I'm not, I, I was very unfamiliar with the counties in Virginia, because I had never lived in Virginia. And so I thought, okay, that's very interesting. So, you know, we moved, and, of course, we had my grandmother's funeral. And and um, when we arrived in Charlottesville, I had some free time one day, and my husband and I said, you know, I wonder how far Madison County is from here. I wonder if I can go and find out anything about my grandparents. And we did a little bit of research, and we discovered that where we were living at the time, Madison County was just 30 minutes from where we lived. And we happened to go. We made a trip um, during the week. We went to the Madison County Library, excuse me, courthouse, 
and we met the clerk. And it just so happened that it wasn't busy that day. And I went in and met with the clerk, and I told her that I was looking for my grandparents' records. And honestly, I did not expect to find anything. I expected that she would say, listen, honey, you know, your people were slaves here. We don't have any records. You know, scram B to get out of here. And she said, well, tell me what their names were. Do you remember any names? And I said, well, my grandfather's um, name was William Clay, and my grandmother was Laura Clay. And so she looked for them, and she couldn't initially she couldn't find them because they had moved to West Virginia. So she said, well, do you know any other names? And I said, yes. I said, I know my great-grandfather's name. His name was, was Washington Clay. And she found his record. She went into this little folder. She brought the, the document out to share with my husband and myself. And I started to cry because for the first time, I saw the marriage license of my grand, my great-grandparents, and then I saw the names of my third great-great-grandparents, who were Henry Clay and Judy Clay. And that's what got me really addicted to genealogy and wanting to find more about my family. So that was now, a very okay, – it gives me so, cold chills thinking about it now. Yes, I'm listening to this. Now, she gave you something. What was this document again, and was there a folder on the family? Yes, actually there was um, a folder. She she did two things. She had like kind of like a card catalog system where she mm-hmm. was able to pull out the marriage, you know, and to locate which page the um, marriage license was on for Washington, my, my great-great-grandfather uh, and, and his wife, Amanda Clay Allen. Um, I mean, excuse me, Amanda Allen Clay. And so she... She gave that document to me, which was their marriage license. And they had a folder. She said, we have a folder because she had done some work with the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Kriglersville, Virginia. And Kriglersville is in Madison County. And she said that she remembered working to, um, to working on the deed to make sure that things were in order And she said, I remember the Clay family, and that property belonged to the Clay family. They donated the property. And so she told us where the church was located. You know, this is um, probably maybe 15 miles from where the courthouse was. And in my mind, I had never been to this courthouse before, didn't even know about the church, but I told my husband, I said, I know in my mind, and this is, again, I'm talking about, Sometimes we get whispers, and we don't yes. realize we know things that we I didn't know. I thought, and I said to him, I bet you any amount of money that this church is located, that it's a little white church located on a hill. And he said, how would you know that? I said, I don't know it for sure. I just think it is. <laughs> Are you clairvoyant? <laughs> he said, how would you? And honestly, that's where it was located, on top of a hill, a little white church. And then it got better. They had a cemetery in the back where my clay relatives were buried. So it was it was it just it was a gift that just kept giving. It just kept giving and giving. Yeah. So it was amazing. And the it church was is amazing. Still there. Now you already have a question, simply because that you know, when you were 
10 years old, you asked the question about Henry Clay. So are your clays mm-hmm. related to Henry Clay, the statesman? Yes, and that was also um, a very intriguing journey. I joined, there is a society called the Clay Family Society, and they're a very active group. So I joined the Clay Family Society, and one of the one of my cousins, she is my cousin. Her name is um, her name is Virginia Cook, and we call her um, Ginger. Uh, Ginger told me about the Clay Family Society, and she said, "And we're going to be having a meeting, and this was going to be in um, in Chester, uh, in Chester, Virginia." And she said, "And we would like for you to come." Now, at the time, I I said, "Fine," and I went to the meeting, and the mail line. They were doing a DNA um, test for their males. And so I asked my brother if he would be willing to submit his DNA. Now, this was, again, this was, you know, 13 years ago. Um, So he did, and then when the results came back, it showed that we weren't connected. And I said, okay, but the Clay Family Society, you don't have to be a genetic Clay, but as long as your surname is Clay, that's the membership rule. So I continued, well, then there was another person, this was before Autosomal, that said, Leontony, don't just take that. He, It was probably a female. And this person was, you know, of European persuasion. So he said the same thing happened to him, and he knew for certain that he was a clay. And he said, and more than likely, your connection to our family is through a female, not a male. So a few years later, I took, the test, we resubmitted with my brother, and it came back that I was biologically related to Senator Henry Clay. And so then all of these cousins, <laughs> you know, on Ancestry.com and 23andMe started connecting with me, and then I was able to find the line. And so now we're at the point, and this has been, again, 14 years later, that we're still not certain the name, and I may never find this information, who the slave was, who the black woman was. We know, obviously, it was one of the clay men, and it was through the line of Mitchell Clay. So we know those we know those linkages, and we think now that the person was the slave woman's name. May, her, her name may have been Phoebe because she's in the will, and she is willed down through the in her heirs are for years starting um, in the 1700s. Now tell us about this will, because you said there's a name in the will, and the name is Phoebe. Who does the will belong to? This will belongs to, um, there's there was a, a person in the line, and his name is Henry Clay, the elder. The person that, when we go back to the very origin of the Clay family, the first person was John Clay, and he arrived in Jamestown in 1613 on the treasurer. He had a son, and his son's name was Charles, and Charles had three sons. And one of those sons' name was Henry. And Henry, we refer to in, in the Clay Society because there's so many Henrys. This one we refer to as Henry the Elder. And through Henry the Elder, he married into the Mitchell family. 
and that is the person from whom I descend. And so in Henry's will, he has Phoebe in his will, and then he wills Phoebe and his son Jack and her son Jack to his son Mitchell, and it comes down the line. Then, um, then they die off, of course, during time, and then the linkage is lost. So I don't know after Phoebe and Jack where I where that person is. So that's my brick wall right there, and we we're still working mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where did you obtain the will from of Henry Clay the Elder? There were two different um, source, sources, actually. One, the first one that I found was at the Library of Virginia, and that was presented to me. We had a wonderful president of our AUGS chapter in, in the Charlottesville area, and um, he was the person who gave me the the first will, and that came, again, it came from the Library of Virginia. And then the Clay Family Society, their researchers, many of them had copies of the will, and they shared that with me. So that's where it came from. But it was the original one came from the Library of Virginia. There okay. Was also, and then yeah. I have a name popping up, Julia, Julian Burke. Yes, Julian Burke. Yes, that must have been Shelley or someone. I don't know. Yeah, Julian. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Ju- okay. oh, can I just say on this journey, Julian Burke was my mentor because when I started doing the research, again, I was just looking for a couple of grandparents. And when I met Julian, he took me under his wing and when I would ask a question, he'd say, you need to go search this way or that way or find this. So he, he did a lot of research at the Library of Virginia. And when he was there doing his research, he was doing some for me, too. So he brought me chancery records and, you know, whatever I needed or he thought that I would need, he would um, bring it to me. So I, I would not have been able to have found my family without Julian Burke and without Shelley Murphy. Those are the two that I would not know much in terms of the records and making sure that everything lined up without their assistance. Right, and one of the things you're pointing out is that there are people out there that can help you. Mm-hmm. And as you just said, Julian Burke and, and Shelley Murphy help you along your way and in your research journey. And so this is kind of a lesson to those that are listening to to reach out to people that can provide you with that type of assistance. Mm-hmm. And so and so your your thought back there as a little girl now have you as a woman finding yes. that indeed the connection is there. And so we're going to take a quick break, come right back, and we're going to continue to talk about uh, the enslaved community at James Madison and, and what you can tell us about that. So quick break. Okay, thank you.
Welcome back to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and you can join me every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where I will have an expert to share resources, stories, and answer your burning genealogy and history questions. Remember, all of my guests share a deep passion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and Stitcher.com. Well, you have been listening to Leontony Clay Peck share her journey from Piedmont, West Virginia, to the Virginia Piedmont. So, Leontony, mm-hmm. let's talk a little about your family, and let's say perhaps your family was connected to the enslaved community at James Madison's Mount Pillar. So give us an idea of what you have discovered about the enslaved community there. This has been another, what I would call, a treasure of discovery and whispers from the ancestors. Not only were my um, family members part of it, and we're talking about extended community family, um, involved in, in, in Madison County, in Orange County, in Albemarle County, but they were part of the enslaved community at Montpelier, also at Monticello. So this I had, I mean, no idea. And the the way that I discovered this was I volunteered for a, um, it's called UCARE, and, and really it's for racial uh, reconciliation and uh, work in the Charlottesville area, and as part of my role there, I represent UCARE on the President's Commission on Slavery and the University at the University of Virginia. One of the other members is Dr. Matt Reeves, who's the Director of Archaeology at Montpelier. So we were in a uh, a meeting one day, uh, again about four years ago, and he asked me if I would be willing to come out to Montpelier and do an archaeological dig. And I said, and I've said this many times, I said, no, I'm not interested. You know, our people have been digging for years and not getting paid for it. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing any digging in the dirt. And so, you know, we kind of chuckled about it. And then he told me more about the archaeological program and that their next project would be trying to do the excavation of the South Yard, and that is where the um, enslaved workers who were the domestic slaves, that's where they lived. So then my interest was piqued, and I said, yes, I would be interested in doing that because I, I, I wanted a new adventure. It sounded like something intriguing to me, and so I decided to do it. Again, this was another blessing for me because it, you you go and, and they assign you to a team, and it's handled very professionally so and you stay it's you know you can people come from all over the country to do the dig so you stay overnight and you have 
pretty they're decent accommodations it's not a hotel it's in a, a very um, nice home on the property and so we stayed and and on one of the digs one of the first things that I noticed when they took us out you know they gave us our materials our gloves our shovels all of the things that we needed to do the equipment that we needed I thought oh well, this is going to be fun and it was fun but it was extremely spiritual because the first time that I put my hands in the dirt, I felt something I had never felt before. And it felt like I was actually touching the people who were there. And one of the, one of the items that I found while I was there was, and it was pretty much intact, was a pipe that was um, carved with the Masonic insignia. And so I had a, a digging partner. Her name was Lily. Her name is Lily. And we found it. I picked it up, showed it to the archaeologists. They verified it. That we were all excited about this. But I tell you, when I took it out of the dirt, because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person who touched it next to the person who last held it. I felt my oh, grandfather, wow. yes, the presence of my grandfather. Now, of course, this wasn't his pipe, but the reason that I felt his presence was because my father, uh, my grandfather, who was from Madison County, born in Madison County, he always smoked a pipe. And I remember it like it was yesterday that I could smell the cherry tobacco. And honestly, when I picked that pipe, I, I my my memory just raced back to my grandfather. So it was extremely emotional for me and spiritual. And I thought to myself, this is not just about coming out and digging in the dirt. This is about coming back to a place where our ancestors, whether they were mine or yours or someone else's, but they were still people that related to our community that wanted their voice heard to say, don't forget about us. So I strongly encourage people to go on the dig for this experience, to hear those whispers, to reclaim a history that maybe we had not thought about. So in doing that dig, not only did I become a lot more involved at Montpelier, um, but I also found that the greater community, there were clays there in the greater community of Orange and Madison. There were Gilmores, and my family were Gilmores. But, and there, were also, there was also a, a, a family there by the last name, surname Madden. And, when I, and this is just recent that we discovered this, that I, my family was also related to the Madden family through, on my mother's side, through the Spillers and the Redmonds. And so each time I go, I find something wonderful about my family. It's almost like each time you come, you get a reward. And each time I go visit, the trees blow. And I'm not kidding when I say that. They blow, <laughs> they, yeah, they blow around as if to say, thank you, don't forget about us, please share, please acknowledge yes. the sacrifices that we made. So... That has been an incredible journey, and it continues to be an incredible journey for me. 
Well, Leontine, I want you to know that I held that pipe when did I was you? at Mount P- Yes, I did. Yes, mm. I did. Little white, little white yes. pipe, and you're right with the Masonic symbol on it. And I'm like, oh wow, this mm-hmm. this really, I can, I can imagine what the experience was like for you mm-hmm. to dig and find it. Why? And so it w- it was shared with with some of us when we were at Montpelier. Now mm-hmm. we have a comment coming out. You know, uh, this is a Family Tree Girl, and she said, "You have her tearing up." Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that's why she likes to go to her ancestors' home place. You know, mm-hmm. just to walk where where they walked. Where they were. And this is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about those whispers, or you're talking about the leaves blowing. And it is a feeling that, you know, don't forget me. Mm-hmm. Uh, come back to where I labored. And, yes. and I, you know, I have a name, too. I'm a person, too. It's mm-hmm. not just looking at this beautiful countryside and just imagining. It's more than imagining because, indeed, they were there. They were there, which means we were there because we're still them. And I say that to people, yes. and they say, what do you mean, Leontini? And I said, well, think about your grandmother. Do you look like your grandmother? Do you look like your grandfather? Many of us do. Do you have the characteristics of them? Yes, because we we have a piece of them. So we're them, too. And so when we return to places where they were, whether it's the home place or a graveyard, or any place where they were, it's part of part of them is returning. We are them. Yes, yes. And and it's not that, you know, you can't find information about the place from somewhere else, but there's nothing like going to the place. Like you said, the no. graveyard. I mean, going back and walking that same road that they walked on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a journey. That's a journey of remembrance and it is. a journey of honoring and a journey of healing mm-hmm. uh, for many people when they have that opportunity. And I think you just said the operative word, healing. Many of us in the African-American community, we're reluctant to visit these places because we feel like it's just too much pain. I don't want to experience that pain. I compare it to two things, healing. And so if you have an open wound, you want it to heal, and you need to take the medicine or put the potion or the salve on it to make it heal. But it's also, I also compare it to birthing a child. It's painful, but at Mm -hmm. the end you get something very beautiful, and you do heal, and it's another generation it's another start so but we have yes. to acknowledge those who labored for us and who sacrificed for us Absolutely. we have to know their stories and and that's one of the reasons that some of us have a calling to do this and I feel like this is a, a calling for me it's my purpose we all most of us have a job where we go to work or we have a way of making a living but it may not be our calling. There's a difference. There is a difference. And, you know, there's a comment, you know, they say, tell my story. 
So did you document your journey in writing? And and if you have, tell us just what have you produced in writing? I have. Um, when I started the journey 14 years ago, my husband was my greatest supporter and still is. And he said, you are finding so many things here. I wish that when we first started I would have videotaped you because we're not going to be able to remember all these things that you found about your family that you didn't know. So I started taking a lot of notes, uh, and I also shared information with the interested members of my family. Some family members aren't interested, but those who were interested, I let them know. So the first book, I produced a book just based upon the Clay family, my Clay family research. And the name of that book is Silver Children, the Family of Henry Clay. And the reason that it's called Silver Children is that in the Bible of a man by the name of Stephen Marston Clay, he names in his Bible the names of the children who are genetically those children that belong to the clay men, the white clay men, and they have mothers who were slaves, and he and and he ends up freeing them, but he names them and calls them the silver children. So he had a distinct name for those. <laughs> they call them the brown. Yeah, they were called the silver children. So that's why I named the book the silver children. And so I I published the book. It's it's available for people who want to um to purchase it but in part of the book is that I wrote letters to my ancestors on things that I couldn't solve and so I and sometimes I'll go back and read and say okay did we solve this I can check this off so that's kind of how I started writing the book so I I finished that and then the second book which I just finished was I wanted to give respect and honor to the women in my family who I didn't know because I have, you know, I descend from from white mothers and black mothers. And um, I wanted to find out some of their stories, too, and be able to pass that legacy along to my to my family, but also to other people who are searching. I just think it's so important for all of us to at least know the name of our grandmother and our great-grandmother. And if we can take it a little further to our fathers and our grandfathers, but at least the mother. Now, in in my case, many of them I was able to find the records, but there were a few that maybe I just knew the name and that's it. It stopped. You know, I hit a brick wall. One of my relatives from West Virginia, this is on my mother's side, her last name was Gator. My mother's last name was Gator. And so this would have been her great-grandmother who I'm referring to. She is listed as a, on the census, first as a mulatto, then as a black woman. And then we find out when she dies, she was really a white woman. And she is, when she died, they took her and buried her in a white cemetery in Grant County, West Virginia. She has a huge tombstone. I had no idea that this woman was even related to me. So I, my conjecture is that when she was she she was white, 
She married into a, a black family. When her husband died, her family said, well, we'll take you back and we'll bury you in our cemetery. And that's where she is. And I have a, you know, a, a picture. But I try to tell her story because I'm descended from her. Mm-hmm. So I think that and so we, and so, yeah. what is the title of your book uh, where um, you tell the uh, where you honor the women in your family? The title of the book is called "Our Mother's Dresses: An Ancestry Tribute to My African, European, and American Mothers." So it's called "Our mm-hmm. Mother's Dresses," and I mm-hmm. use really wanted to use dresses in terms of an honor and a tribute to both of my grandmothers, but in particular my grandmother who who lived in Petersburg, West Virginia, and her name was Mabel Redmond Gator. My grandmother wore dresses. She she died when she was 104, and she wore dresses all of her life. But what I found so intriguing about her, she did everything in a dress. She had a garden she, you know, she cut wood. She was a little woman, but she was a strong woman. And I sat one day and I said, how in the world did she get all this work done? No blue jeans, you know, no shorts. She, <laughs> it's all in a dress. She did everything in a dress. So part of it is a tribute to her. Um, but the other part is a metaphor for the dresses that we have to wear in society what color you are, sometimes and often that's the way that you're treated depending upon if someone thinks you're the right or wrong color. So, for example, in the book, I talk about um, a woman by the name of Sarah Bartman, who they, you know, she was an African woman and she was endowed um, in her back area. And for those of you who aren't familiar with her, they paraded her around in a zoo naked so people could see her. So if you Google her, you will see a picture of Sarah Bartman. I include her in the book because they, her skin was beautiful and brown, but she was not looked upon as a woman. They put her in a freak show. Now, would they have done this to a woman who was white? And my answer mm-hmm. is no, they would not have done this. So the mm-hmm. so the dress the dress that 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 we come in into this world, um, some get favor and some don't, and so I wanted to really address that in the book. But at the same time, I wanted to encourage other women, well, not you know men and women really, to look for that ancestor in their family. Just start with there and tell that family story and tell and that family I, story yes. yes and and what you told us about Mabel Redmond Gator mm-hmm. and the fact that because her husband was a black man mm-hmm. her family disowned her but when he died then the family took her back was this a whisper or was this something that was very well known in your home no, no, this was another grandmother. This was this was my great-great-grandmother who the family okay. took her back. Yeah, Mabel Redmond Gator was my grandmother, my mother's mother. Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So, mm-hmm. But she was also, um, like my grandmother, her father was Solomon Gator, and 
the community where she grew up in Petersburg, we couldn't tell the white people from the black people because the people were all different colors. So we had people in our community, like it happens in a lot of um, African-American communities, but in Petersburg, West Virginia, we had people who were, you know, from ebony to ivory, and that was your family. So, you know, in in my own mother's family, she had half siblings were brown and half could pass for white. That was just the reality in, in, in our community. So when you look at your history or when you look at your mother's, for me that was important to say some of these women had more privilege than others simply because of the color of their skin. But in our community, that was not always the case because everyone was, you know, we were all different colors in the same family. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, take us through a journey. Let's say you're connecting with long-lost relatives. Mm -hmm. You're now back in Madison County. Uh, well, who have you connected with, and how have you connected with long-lost family members? Let me tell you, this this story is, I have a lot of great stories, but this one I believe is the most powerful one with connecting with long-lost relatives. And this is with the help of Julian Burke. My father, at the time I was doing this research, my father had been diagnosed with um, an autoimmune disorder, and he was not well and was not expected to live. And so we were back and forth with him, and I did not want to burden him so much with this genealogy, but I, I needed to find out some answers. And so one day Julian Burke called me at my office, and he said, Leontony, I found one of your relatives in um outside of Culpeper, you know, uh and and so we need talking about me, when he said we he was talking about me, we need to contact him. And I said, "Well, what is his name?" And he said his name is Elmo Clay. Now, how many Elmo Clays would anyone know? <laughs> so he said, "I want you to get in the car and go find him." And I thought to myself, oh, this is this is adventuresome, but it could be kind of dangerous. Okay, but I'll go see if I can find him. Well, the the place where he lived was, again, about 35 miles from where I lived, and my young daughter, Alexis, we got in the car, and she was kind of scared. She said, oh, Mom, this is scary. You're going to find people you don't know, and we're out in the woods. And, you know, I'm I'm afraid. I said, you know, you're fine. We'll be okay. And, you know, when you go to some of these communities in small towns, people will tell you anything. They, they'll they just give you information. It's not like the city. And so I was on in pursuit of Elmo Clay. And so my daughter and I were on these little roads, and then we stopped at a fruit stand. I'm not lost, but I'm not sure. He, he worked at a gift shop. My, my cousin Elmo worked at a gift shop, in, like in a tourist area. And so um, 
we stopped and we saw a little lady, her, and she was selling vegetables. Her name was Little Mary. And I said, I went up and I said, hello. I said, do you know a guy by the name of Elmo Clay? And she said, yes, I do. She said, he works down there at the Emporium. He's probably, he's lazy. He's probably not doing any work at all. And she said it kind of jokingly, which meant to me she knew who he was. And so my daughter and I, we got in the car and we rode towards the Emporium. She had given us the directions. And I went inside the store, and I asked the clerk, I said, do you have an Elmo Clay that works here? And she said, yes. She said, he's taking his break. He's sitting out on the front porch. So I went out, and his back was to my to me, and he was sitting in a rocking chair. So I approached him gently. My daughter was with me. He turns around, and my daughter and I both looked at each other, and I said, oh, my God, that's Granddad. And she said, oh, my God, that's granddad. So I'm saying it because he looks like my grandfather. And she's saying it because it looks like her grandfather, who is my father. So I said, are you Elmo Clay? And he said, it depends. Are you the law? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, no. I said, but I'm your cousin. And he said, I don't have any cousins. And I said, you didn't know that I existed, and I didn't know that you existed until this week. And he he started crying. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. Well, of course, I had done the research. Julian had prepared me. I had all the information. So I knew his mother's name. I knew his father's name. You know, he his father and my grandfather were brothers. So I had pictures. So we sat, my daughter and I, we sat with him for about two hours sharing information and so he we left you know and I gave him my information that next day I received a call from his sister who I had not seen on the census somehow she was missed on the census I didn't know he had a sister her name was Emma Clay who lived outside of Culpeper and she called me and she said and when I say this, it's almost every time I say it, it, it gives me cold chills. She said, I have been praying every day that my family would find me. I knew that I was that I had family out there. You have been the answer to my prayer. Oh, wow. Yes. And so... We ended up, again, I just had this telephone conversation, so we made arrangements for my cousins to come from West Virginia to um, Culpeper, and we met at her home, and she looked just like one of my aunts. She looked like my Aunt Ruth, my father's sister, and then, of course, Elmo looked like my father and my grandfather, so we knew, and my father remembered playing with them when they were children, and he had not seen them since he was a boy, you know, like seven, eight years old. And so when I say this is the most powerful part of it, my father's health improved, and he lived another eight or nine years after that. So he had, he they developed almost like they were cousins when they were little. They spoke to each other on the phone. We had of a, a party, a celebration party of cousins back in West Virginia. It was great. So for me, every mile that I drove, every night that I stayed up late, 
it was worth it to me because I gained my family, my father. I gained more time with my father, and my father gained his cousins. Because prior to that, he said he didn't have any family. He didn't know where they were. Wow. It was a, great, it was a, well, it was a fabulous you, you have comments coming out of the chat room. One is, you know, this is a prime example of good research. Go to the area where your ancestors lived. Mm-hmm. Another comment is, you know, what a story. Susan is saying, beautiful story. Angela is saying, he willed himself to live and to enjoy his family. Mm-hmm. Love this story of Elmo Clay. Great story. <laughs> so this this is just wonderful. And would you believe we are getting close to the end of the show? I can't believe so, it. <laughs> But but before we end, before we end, I want you to tell us about the most surprising thing that you found in your research, in addition to Elmo Clay and his sister. Okay. I think, again, there was just so many intriguing things, but I think the most interesting thing that I found was once I made the connection, the DNA and biological connection with my um, my white clay family, for years, for many, many years, and even when I started doing the research, I wanted to be related to Muhammad Ali, who was a.k.a. Cassius Clay. That's who I wanted to be related to. <laughs> and as it turned out, there was no connection between the Clay family and and Muhammad Ali, his father, Cassius Clay Sr., was named in honor of the abolitionist Cassius Marcellus Clay. And so for me, that was kind of an ironic twist that I wanted to be related to the boxer, but I'm actually related to the emancipationist, abolitionist. So that was intriguing to me. And then I found in the research that Cassius Clay's daughter, her name was Laura, and of course my grandmother's name was Laura, Laura Clay. And so prior to uh, the nomination of Hillary Clinton, Laura Clay, who was the daughter of Cassius Clay, was the first woman to be nominated by a major party as a serious presidential candidate. So a lot of people don't know that history either, and that's on the books, it's in the records. And so that was kind of interesting and intriguing to me to find that I have an interest in politics, I have a degree in political science, and the people that I'm related to were interested in political um happenings and and education and interest in politics too. So sometimes I think that it it doesn't the genetic memory that we have can come from a wide variety of people. Yes, indeed, you are right. Mm-hmm. Now, because you've said this, just how are you related to the abolitionist Cassius Marcellus Clay? Cassius, we are all descended. Remember the man that I said in in the very beginning, John Clay? Yes. We're all descendants. We're all his descendants. Okay. 
Yes, we're all his descendants. And they, trust me when I tell you that the Clay Family Society, they have this all documented from day one. So, but there were, there were certain Clays who descended from John Clay. And then, of course, there were other Clays who didn't, who just had the name. And they didn't mm-hmm. descend, you know, just like anyone else in, um, whose surname. So that's how we're related. And did you find any ancestors in, in the United States color troops? I did. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. This was another wonderful finding. Um, my grandfather, well, he'd be my third great-grandfather. His name was Job Gator. And Job Gator was in the U.S. Color Troops. He he was from Petersburg, West Virginia. And I really didn't find him. The West Virginia Archives found me. Uh, this was a, several years ago when they were celebrating the 150th anniversary. And the state of West Virginia had minted these wonderful medals for the men from West Virginia who had served in the Civil War. And some of them were still there. Many of them were still there. And so they had a researcher, and his job, one of his jobs was to find the descendants and try to, you know, award these medals to, the, to, their, to their descendants. And so I got an email from a gentleman that said, you know, I was looking, and I see that you're a gator, and, you know, I see your information, and I think that you may be a descendant of Job Gator, who served in the Civil War. And I said, well, I didn't even know that I had a civil, anyone in the Civil War. And he said, yes, you do. And we would like to be able to give you his medal. It's been here for 150 years. And Shelley Murphy was the person who helped me to, I have a video of when it arrived in the mail, but there was a process. They didn't just hand it to you. So I had to give them my birth certificate, my mother's birth certificate, and basically, you know, provide them with the genealogy leading me to Job Gator. And I did, and it took, I think, uh, several months before I was actually um, mailed. They they mailed the um, the medal to me. And so I took it to work. And uh, Shelley Murphy videotaped me. I, I I wouldn't open it until I did, and so because I, I wanted it to be a real reaction. And again, it was a, another gift handed to me from the ancestors. I don't know very many people who have an actual artifact that belonged to their ancestor. So I kind of felt that. My great-great-grandfather was saying, I know you'll take care of my medal, so I'm going to give it to you. And I have it uh, in a shadow box in my home, and it's very meaningful to me. Now, what I did later, a few years later, at the Gator family reunion, all of the men, uh, and we've had women too, but at this particular time, all of the men, my brother, my cousins, I uh, pulled them together and I took a picture of them and shared Job's story with them. And they were extremely proud because these were, you know, veterans, my cousins who were veterans and who served in the Marines and the Navy and, you know, and and the military. So it was very touching and very honorable for them because they didn't know that we even had a relative who had served um, in the U.S. Colored Troops. So that was, again, another wonderful 
um, gift from the ancestors. Well, do uh, West Virginia soldiers have an opportunity to get a medal also? Other descendants have an opportunity to get a medal if they find out that their ancestors served in the, yes, the military? Yes, if it's there. Yes, if it's there. Now, I will say that, you know, they they really um, they have a list. They're very thorough. So you have to present, if you think that your relative was there and you have all the documentation and it's still there, yes. And and it doesn't cost very much to get it, but I think it's like, you know, $20 that you have to send for the processing, for the mailing. But in terms of you actually accessing it, you have to present to uh, the archives your documentation. So they will send it to you, yes. Right, certainly, mm-hmm. and and of course they're not going to just hand it to you without you having the proof Absolutely. that you are a descendant. So I I can definitely understand that. Well, mm-hmm. I just want to thank you, Leontine, for sharing sharing your journey with us from Piedmont, West Virginia, to the Virginia Piedmont, and for everyone else, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, the whispers, family records, and research at the National Archives and beyond. You can continue this discussion on the research at the National Archives and beyond and the Afrogenius.com Facebook pages. And also remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji and also watch for the Black Progen Live with host Nika Soul Smith. Thank you so much for joining research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. And check out my services at BB's Genealogy Research and Educational Services LLC. And my website is www.geniebroots.com and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night everyone. Good night Leontine. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.